0: Section number 16 of Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Musicians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster, Melbourne, Australia. Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Musicians by Albert Hubbard. Chapter 16. Part 2 a plate affixed to number five hundred and fifteen bonn gas bonn gives the birth of ludwig van beethoven as december seventeenth seventeen hundred and seventy he was the second born child of his mother and after him came a goodly assortment of boys and girls two of his brothers lived to exercise a sinister influence over the life of the master and to darken days that should have been luminous with love little ludwig was the pet and pride of the grandfather the grandfather had even insisted that the baby should bear his name disappointment in his own child caused him to centre his love in the grandchild this instinct that makes men long to live again in the lives of their children is it reaching out for immortality and as the grandfather virtually supported the household he was allowed to have his own way and indeed that strong yet cheery will was not to be opposed the old man prophesied what the boy would do just as love ever does and has done since the world began but only in his dreams was ludwig van beethoven to know of the success of his namesake when the boy was scarce four years old the old man passed away the place in the orchestra that johann held through favour was soon forfeited and times of pinching poverty followed, and sorrows came like the gathering of a winter night. Have you never shared the mocking shame and biting pain of a drunkard's household? Then God grant you never may. When the world withdraws its faith from a man through his own imbecility, and employment is denied, then promises are unkept. When order and systems are gone, and foresight fled, and louder accusation threat and customarily vary their strident tones with maudlin protestations of affection and vows made to be broken easily changed to curses when the fire dies on the hearth and children huddle in a bed in the daytime for warmth when the scanty food that is found is eaten ravenously and blanching fear comes when a heavy tread and fumbling at the locker heard in the hall these things challenge language for fit expression and cause words to falter the moody and dispirited johann one day conceived a bright thought a thought so vivid that for the moment it cleared the codwebs from his mind and sobered his boozy brain the genius of his five-year-old boy should be exploited to retrieve his battered fortunes the child was already showing signs of musical talent and diligent practice was now begun. Several chums at the beer gardens were interviewed, and great plans unfolded in very enthusiasm. The services of several of these men were secured as tutors, and one of them, Pfeiffer, took lodgings with the Beethoven's and paid for bed and board in music lessons. A new thought is purifying, ideas are hygienic, and already things had begun to look brighter for the household. It wasn't exactly prosperity, but Johann had found a place in the band and was earning as much as three dollars a week, which amount, for two weeks running, he brought home and placed in his wife's lap. But things were grievous for young Beethoven. He had two taskmasters, his father and Pfeiffer. One gave him lessons on the violin in the morning, and the other took him to a tavern where there was a clavichord and made him play all afternoon. Then occasionally Johann and Pfeiffer would come home at two o'clock in the morning from a concert where they had been playing and where the wine was red and also free, and they would drag the poor child from his bed to make him play. This was followed up until the boy's mother rebelled, and on one occasion Pfeiffer and Johann were sent to the military hospital and dry docked for repairs. On the whole, this man Pfeiffer was kindly and usually capable, and after years Beethoven testified to the valuable assistance he had received from him, and when Pfeiffer had grown old and helpless, Beethoven sent funds to him by the publishers Simrock. Young Ludwig was a stocky, sturdy youth, decidedly Dutch in his characteristics, with no nerves to speak of, else he would have laid him down and died of heart-chill and neglect, as did four of his little brothers and sisters but he stood the ordeals and at parlour, tavern and beer-garden entertainments where he played, although his cheeks were often stained with tears. He took a great pride in being able to do things which even his father could not, and then he was always introduced as Ludwig Beethoven, a grandchild of Ludwig van Beethoven, and this was no mean introduction. His appearance even then bore strong resemblance to the lost and lamented grandfather, and van den eden the court organist in loving remembrance of his antwerp friend took the lad into his keeping and gave him lessons when van den eden retired neef his successor took a kindly interest in the boy and even protected him from his father and the zealous Pfeiffer. so well was the boy thought of that when he was twelve years of age neef established him as his deputy at the chapel organ Shortly after this, the new elector, Max Friedrich, bestowed on Louis van Beethoven, my well-beloved player, upon the organ and clavichord, a stipend of 150 florins a year, and if his talent doth increase with his years, the amount is to be also increased. In token of the elector's recognition, Beethoven wrote three sonatas, the earliest of his compositions, and dedicated them to Max Friedrich in 1782. In 1784, elector Max Friedrich died, and Max Franz was appointed to take his place. His inauguration was a signal for a renewal of musical and artistic activity. Concerts, shows, military pageants followed the installation in a list of court appointments we find that Louis van beethoven is put down as second organist with a salary of forty five pounds a year below this is johann beethoven with a salary of thirty pounds a year and in one of the court journals mention is made of johann beethoven with the attached line father of ludwig beethoven showing even then the man's source of distinction in seventeen hundred eighty seven when in his eighteenth year beethoven made a visit to vienna in company with several musicians from the electors court at bonn this visit was a memorable event in the life of the master every detail of which was deeply etched upon his memory to be effaced only by death it was on this visit to vienna that he met mozart and played for him mozart gave due attention and when the player had ceased he turned to the company and said keep your eye on this youth he will yet make a noise in the world the remark if closely analyzed reveals itself as non-committal and although it has been bruited as praise the round world over it was probably an electrotyped expression used daily for great musicians are called upon at every turn to listen to prodigies I once attended rhetoricals, where the Honorable Chauncey M. Depew was president. Being called upon to make a few remarks, a senator from New York arose and referred to one of the speeches given by a certain sophomore as unlike anything I have ever heard before. Genius very seldom recognises genius. Beethoven had a self-sufficiency, even at that early time, that stood him in good stead. He felt his power and knew his worth. That steadfast, obstinate quality in his make-up was not in vain. He let others quote Mozart's remark, but he had matched himself against the master and was not abashed. Kinship is a question of spirit and not a matter of blood. How often do we find persons who, in feeling, are absolutely strangers to their own brothers and sisters? occasionally even parents fail to understand their children the child may hunger for sympathy and love that the mother knows nothing of and cry itself to sleep for a tenderness withheld later the same child may evolve aspirations and ambitions that seem to the other members of the family mere whims and vagaries to be laughed down or startly endured as the mood prompts knowing these things do we wonder at the question of long ago who is my mother and who are my brethren beethoven was a beautiful brown thrush in a nest of cuckoos he could sing and sing divinely and the members of his household were glad because it bought an income in which they all shared about the year 1795 beethoven went to Vienna and as he had been heralded by several persons of influence, his reception was gracious. Charity has its periods of evolving into a fad, and at this time the fashion was musical entertainments in aid of this or that. Slight suspicions exist that these numerous entertainments were devised by fledgling musicians for their own aggrandisement, and possibly patrons fanning the philanthropic flame to help on their protégés beethoven was of too simple and guileless a nature to aid his fortunes with the help of any social jimmy but we see he was soon in the full tide of local popularity his ability as a composer his virile presence and his skill as a player made his company desired from playing first for charity then at the houses of nobility and next as a professional musician he gradually mounted to the place to which his genius entitled him then we find his brothers karl and johann appearing on the scene with a fussy yet earnest intent to take care of business affairs of their eccentric and absent-minded brother ludwig let himself fall into their way of thinking It was easier than to oppose them and they began to drive bargains with publishers and managers their intent was to sell for cash and at the highest market and their strenuous efforts after the main chance put their gifted brother in a bad plight before the world of art beethoven's brothers seized his very early and immature compositions and sold them without his consent or knowledge so humiliated was Beethoven by seeing these productions of his childhood hawked about that he even instituted lawsuits to get them back that he might destroy them. To boom a genius and cash his spiritual assets is a grave and delicate task. Perhaps it is one of those things that should be left undone. Much anguish did these rapacious brothers cause the divinely gifted brown thrush and when they began to quarrel over the receipts between themselves, he begged them to go away and leave them in peace. He finally had to adopt the ruse of going back to Bonn with them, where he got them established in the apothecary business, before he dared manage his own affairs. But they were bad angels, and the wind of their wings withered the great man as they hovered around him down to the day of his death then silence settled down upon beethoven and every piano was for him mute and he the maker of sweet sounds could not hear his own voice or catch the words that fell from the lips of those he loved fate seemed to have done her worst and so he wrote forgive me then if you see me turn away when i would gladly mix with you for me there is no recreation in human intercourse no conversation No sweet interchange of thought. In solitary exile I am compelled to live. When I approach strangers, a feverish fear takes possession of me, for I know that I will be misunderstood. But, O God, Thou lookest down upon my inward soul. Thou knowest and Thou seest the love for my fellow men, and all kindly feeling have their abode here. Patience, I may get better i may not but i will endure all until death shall claim me and then joyously will i go the man who could so express himself at twenty-eight years of age must have been a right brave and manly man but art was his solace as it should be to every soul that aspires to become great genius and great love can never be separated in fact i am not sure but that they are one and the same thing. But the object of his love separated herself from Beethoven when calamity lowered. What woman, young, bright, vigorous and fresh, with her face to the sun rising, would care to link her fate with that of a man sore-stricken by the hand of God? And then there is always a doubt about the genius. Isn't he only a fool, after all? Art was Beethoven's solace. Art is harmony, beauty and excellence. The province of art is to impart a sublime emotion. Beethoven's heart was filled with divine love, and all love is divine, and through his art he sought to express his love to others. But his physical calamity made him the butt and byword of the heedless wherever he went. Within the sealed-up casements of his soul, Beethoven heard the heavenly choir, and as he walked bareheaded upon the street, oblivious to all, centred in his own silent world, he would sometimes suddenly burst into song. At other times he would beat time, talk to himself, and laugh aloud. His strange actions would often attract a crowd, and rude persons, ignorant of the man they mocked, would imitate him or make mirth for the bystanders as they sought to engage him in conversation. At such times the master might be dragged back to earth, and seeing the coarse faces and knowing the hopelessness of trying to make himself understood, he would retreat in terror. Six months or more of each year were spent in the country in some obscure village about Vienna, There he could walk the woods and traverse the fields alone and unnoticed, and there, out under the open sky, much of his best work was done. The famous Moonlight Sonata was shaped on one of these lonely walks by night across the fields, when the master could shake his shaggy head, lift up his face to the sky, and cry aloud, all undisturbed. In the recesses of his imagination he saw the sounds. There are men to whom sounds are invisible symbols of forms and colours. The law of compensation never rests. Everything conspired to drive Beethoven in upon his art. It was his refuge and his retreat. When love spurned him and misunderstandings with kinsmen came and lawsuits and poverty added their weight of woe, he fell back upon music and out under the stars he listened to the sonatas of god next day he wrote them out as best he could always regretting that his translations were not quite perfect he was ever stung with a noble discontent and in times of exultation there ran in his deaf ears the words arise and get thee hence for this is not thy rest and so his work was in a constant ascending scale Richard Wagner has acknowledged his indebtedness to Beethoven in several essays, and in many ways. In fact, it is not too much to say that Beethoven was the spiritual parent of Wagner. From his admiration of Beethoven, Wagner developed the strong, sturdy, independent quality of his nature that led to his exile and his success. Behold the face of Ludwig Beethoven! is there not something titanic about it what selfness what will what resolve what power and those tear-stained eyes have they not seen sights of which no tongue can tell nor tongue can make plain his life of solitude helped foster the independence of his nature and kept his mind clear and free from all the idle gossip of the rabble he went his way alone and played court for to no titled and alleged nobility the democracy of the man is not our least excuse for honouring him he was one with the plain people of earth and the only aristocracy he acknowledged was the aristocracy of intellect in the work done after his fortieth year there is great freedom and ease and increasing strength with a daring quality which uplifts and gives you courage. The tragic interest and intense emotionalism are gone, and you behold a resignation and the success it wins by yielding. The man is no longer at war with destiny. There is no struggle. We pay for everything we receive. Nay, all things can be obtained if we but pay the price. One of the very few emancipated men in America Brought redemption from the bondage of selfish ambition at a terrible price, years and years ago he was in the rocky mountains, rough, uneducated, heedless of all that makes for righteousness. This man was caught in a snowstorm on the mountain side, he lost his way, became dazed with cold, and fell exhausted in the snow. when found by his companions the next day, death had nearly claimed him. But skilful help brought him back to life. Yet the frost had killed the circulation in his feet. Both legs were amputated just below the knees. This changed the current of the man's life. Foot races, boxing matches and hunting of the big game were out of the question. The man turned to books and art and questions of science and sociology. Thirty summers have come and gone. This gentle, sympathetic and loving man now walks with a cane, and few know of his disability and his artificial feet. Speaking of his spiritual rebirth, this man of splendid intellect said to me with a smile, It cost me my feet, but it was worth the price. I shed no maudal tears over the misfortunes of Beethoven. He was what he was because of what he endured. He grew strong by bearing burdens. All things are equalized. By the cross is the world redeemed. God be praised. It is all good. End of section 16